0: I want to go to there?
1: Snipe! I saw it in the and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes, 30 hellers agree.
2: Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually.
1: Would you believe
0: it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, but hearts keep worse. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Calls and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
2: Uh, well, I'm doing better than you, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, yes, just gentle listeners, I am once again sick. So it's been a very busy month for For me, it's been an insane month lots of lots of work uh, but this past weekend, there was a, a conflagration of events uh where there was the a b club freelancers there was a there was a party for freelancers, so I actually got to meet several of the wonderful guests of the podcast uh in person. Which was awesome, and uh, hopefully they will come back. We, we we we've done we did some scheming for future DVD shelf segments. So I think you guys will all be pleased of the fruits of that evening, followed by Supernatural celebration at DePaul this weekend with uh, which was of course put together by friend of the show Paul Booth, uh, one of the professors over at DePaul. It was a day long sort you know like celebration of Supernatural with um, different. Uh, Fans and critics and uh, one of the executive producers, co-executive producers of the show came as well. Uh, Mo Ryan was there, a friend of the show, and uh, got to meet a bunch of really cool fans. There's nothing quite like a specific fan convention like that, where it's just people who are uber fans of one thing. Um And we, I talked a little bit of this about this on Twitter, because uh, people were saying, well, isn't that what Comic-Con is? And that is not at all Comic-Con is, because this is something where every single person who is there knows the show as well as or better than you do. And I've watched all 10 seasons, and I've been thinking about it a lot to prepare. I I was on a panel talking about the Western as a genre, uh, as being the genre of Supernatural. It was a lot of fun. Uh, But because the kind of details that we can throw out, you know, Simon, you find those people that you know that love cinema or love television as much as you do, and you you can make those references and they actually get them, every supernatural reference you could possibly make, everyone who was there was going to get, and it was really fascinating really cool to be a part of. So that was on Saturday, and on Sunday my body said, no, you need sleep. Um, so I apologize for my tone. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I will see how long I can maintain this energy level, because this is a lot more energy than I've put out in the last like day and a half but uh but it was it was a blast and so I was really glad to be able to be a part of that and uh actually one of the other things I did at Supernatural Celebration was I was on a panel about podcasting with John Clark of Caffeinated Comics and that actually was recorded and put out as a podcast so if you want to hear some of my thoughts about do's and don'ts and things to know if you if you want to start a podcast you can check out the Caffeinated Comics uh podcast in iTunes the the latest episode has uh has me talking there for about an hour about podcasting so it was it was a lot of fun um but yeah, I'm I'm exhausted. I feel I sound more exhausted than you sounded last week after you had run 20 miles.
2: Uh that's pro I have I have less going on than you do though. And also I my body seems to require sleep less.
0: Yeah, I don't know maybe I think that's probably a big part of it. It just, it really, I really do need the sleep. Uh, hopefully, I'll get some of it this week. Fortunately, our television load has, you know, become more manageable. We were under two hours last week. I think we're going to be under two hours this week. It's very exciting, listeners, at least for Woo! us. I don't know. But for you guys, um, however, not contributing to that is one of the uh, an email we got this week from one of our listeners, Janie. Janie, thank you so much for writing in, who said, I uh, love the Televerse podcast. I was wondering if you were planning to cover The Flash and Arrow in the genre section again. Some wild stuff is happening on both shows, and I'm interested in your takes on it. And uh, so, yes, we will absolutely add those back in this week. I've been keeping up with both of them. As well as several other shows that we don't talk about. You know, I, we, when I have something to say, I'll I'll throw them in. But right now, I don't have much to say about, like, Elementary or S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, but, Simon, you are not keeping up with these shows right now, as I understand it.
2: Uh, no, I don't think uh, my perspective on these shows would be particularly enlightening at this time.
0: Okay, well, we will be talking about those th- this week in the genre section, though. Uh, there's just been... There's a lot going on uh, in TV right now, and especially in these comic book series as we get to the end of the season. And certainly right now we've got upfronts happening, so we've gotten a bajillion of uh, renewals and cancellations. Everything's been confirmed for the most part. Everything's been canceled. Um, and I say that with such an uplift in my voice, at least given how sick I am right now. Uh, Because, Simon, let's just share with our listeners, what are some of the shows? What show are you most excited about being canceled?
2: You know, it should be Stalker or The Following, but really, I think it's Backstrom, just because if I was going to live in a world where that was going to be a hit, I think I would have to rethink some things. I, I mean, to me, it's the combination of Backstrom, The Following, and Stalker are gone and yet we still have Galavant. And I don't even like Galavant, and I still think that's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I was amazed that that got renewed. Uh, less surprised about Agent Carter, but, you know, pleasantly surprised about Agent Carter. But I did not expect Galavant to get renewed. And anybody who listened to my review, uh, I mean, talking about the finale, would know that. Because when they ended on a, this is what we'll do next season. I was like, but, but you're not going to, but honey, you're not going to get it next season. And I was totally wrong
2: despite that episode i don't even think the people who make gallivant expected this like (laughs) how how anyway good for them hopefully it gets better uh that would be great because it would be good if it was good um (laughs) but yeah anyway lots of dumb things i mean some dumb things got re i mean the mysteries of laura is back and like a bunch of other things nobody cares about but uh, what are you gonna do nbc
0: and yes, we're very excited about Stalker and the following, and Backstrom all getting canceled. Before we get too excited, though, let's not forget Criminal Minds is still a thing that is on TV. So,
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and they just announced that American Idol is having its last season.
0: Ah, I missed so that. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. I, not unsurprising, but a big deal nonetheless. Yeah. So, we'll we'll, we'll keep, continue to follow the upfronts news over the next few weeks.
2: I also am completely expecting the announcement that that the Good Wife's next season is its last.
0: Yeah, that's been in the air for a while. Um, it's had terrible ratings for many years. Like just, but especially considering you know it's on CBS, it would have great ratings for other networks. But for CBS, which does so much better than the other networks, uh, it. Yeah, it it would be very surprising actually if it was announced like if if they got picked up for two more seasons and that was going to be or something like that, uh, which they've done in the past. Networks have done that in the past. I would be very surprised. So, uh, we'll yeah, I, I'm anticipating a final season pickup for The Good Wife.
2: I I wouldn't even be shocked at like a final 13er or something.
0: Yeah. Yep. We'll have to see. We're going to talk about the Good Wife finale at the end of the podcast here. Uh, Well, not at the end, in the drama section of the podcast. At the end of the podcast, we'll be talking with uh, the games editor for Sound On Sight, Mike Warby, about Spawn, the animated series. Which is, is a show that ran for three seasons on HBO that I had never heard of. I didn't know there was a Spawn animated series, so it was really interesting to to watch. And we, you know, we had a fun conversation with with Mike about it. One of our our one of our DVD shelf segments with the least consensus, I would say, which is always entertaining.
2: Uh, yeah, there's there there's some discord on that one.
0: But, but, well, we look forward to hearing from you guys and what you think about Spawn the Animated Series once you get a chance to listen to that. Uh, we should also mention at Sound on Site this week, uh, there's some, some good articles, there's some interesting articles going up. Elena has a piece about Jane the Virgin and why she connects with it and how uh, representation and specifically seeing Latinos and Latinas on television is an important thing. And so you guys can check that out uh, in the TV section. As well as we, we're having a, a mini revival of our greatest uh, series finales, theme so we've got uh, articles from from mike about six feet under and elena about my so-called life and we also have another one from dylan coming up later this week that i think i know you're a fan of this season uh, series finale and i am as well so yeah, you know, i'm gonna i'll just leave it there you guys can check us out on site to see what show dylan's talking about but yeah a lot of a lot of really fun uh pieces going up at sound Insight
2: this week yes
0: but anyways uh let's let's dive in we're gonna we're I'm really excited about this whole under two hours thing, so we're gonna try for it again this week uh so we'll leave it there. look forward to hearing from you guys. lots of fun Twitter interactions and uh comments on the website and all of that. Uh, but we're gonna go into our week in t v uh because I think you guys care a little bit more about that than you do our thoughts on certain actors' bad responses to criticism this week uh.
2: Yeah yeah no let's not go there. To be
0: continued. Anyways, uh we'll be back right after this with our weekend comedy. Mm-hmm. This week in comedy, we're actually not going to talk about Grace and Frankie, which debuted this week uh, on Netflix, because I needed a little bit more time to catch up with it. Sorry, listeners, I've let you down, but we'll be talking about it next week on the podcast. Instead, we're going to dive in with Jane the Virgin, Chapter 21, Louis, Untitled, Silicon Valley, Server Space, Veep Convention, and then we'll round things out with Inside Amy Schumer, 12 Angry Men, Inside Amy Schumer. <sighs> Spoiler alert. Uh, anyways, let's let's talk about Jane. The Virgin, by the time people are listening to this, they very likely have seen the season finale, and I'm jealous of you, future listeners. I can't wait to watch it. What did you think of, of this episode, and did they recover from what you felt was a underwhelming previous installment?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so, for the for the most part. The, I mean, what I was looking for was mainly uh, sort of a retreat from... Uh, I don't really like it when Jane the Virgin puts out negative vibes. It doesn't make me feel good. It's... It, to me, it's it's at its best when it is a feel good show, or at least uh, a, a feels heavy show. If if I can be permitted to say that without wanting to slash my wrists. Um, and this uh, this felt more akin to the show that I that I enjoy. Uh, I, I I'm not like totally uh, I'm not totally jazzed about the resurgent Michael thing, but I also recognize that it was probably going to happen anyway, whether or not I was jazzed about it.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I like the wrinkle of Zoe's involvement and uh, and how that will affect things. I like that being a legitimate um, strain on her and Jane's relationship, which I think is believable uh, from both from both of their fronts. And we already know that Rogelio is on Team Michael. He's hashtag Team Michael. So uh, that could make things more interesting. Uh,
2: yeah, again, I, I I don't want them to just manufacture conflict for the sake of it. Uh, and w- whenever things like that crop up that you know are going to be a problem later, I just I just hope they'll they'll dispense with it rather quickly in a in a realistic Janeish fashion. Um, how how did we feel about uh, about Jane being uh, <laughs> I, I, I had a a jokey moment with someone on Twitter when someone who was writing a review was quickly asking, "Oh, who was playing the mean girl?" Because they were trying to ID her. And I said, "Oh, that was Jane," because she was being mean this week they were like okay that's that's kind of funny but who who was it really then i quickly helped them out anyway um how how did we feel about jane taking a little turn for the dark side there
0: i think we've seen this from her before as well in regards to petra and uh yes she is being mean girl in that moment very explicitly they the show calls it out but it's petra petra like threatened to fight for custody of her baby petra uh defended her mom as her you know mom tried threatened to deport jane's abuela i mean i call me you know i'm I'm not as good a person as jane so i don't think she should feel guilty for that at all even though i'm sure eventually she will
2: I feel like I I have a smidge more sympathy for Petra than most people do, if only because if you think about what's happened to her over the course of the show, it's really all been mostly terrible. Yes, she's also done bad things, but the bad things she's done and the bad things that have happened to her don't really have a lot of relation.
0: If she was willing to give up power or give up money, she wouldn't be in this situation, but she's not. And I like Petra. I think she's very likable, and I think she's an interesting character, but... I don't feel that bad for her. I don't feel worse for her than I feel for the other. I mean, Jane was artificially inseminated against her will. Come on. <laughs> A lot of bad things have happened to everybody on this show. Except for Michael. I mean, yes, heart trampled on and all that. But really, he, he did that one to himself. Uh, But other than Michael, there's been really bad things that have happened to everybody on this show.
2: Uh, Yeah, I guess. Um, How do you feel about the... um? The depiction of uh, Raph and his sort of like oh I do want to break up with her, but no, I actually don't because I had this conversation with my sister and now it, it all makes sense to me I mean have you have you felt annoyed with that or 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 you just accept it as part of a plot mechanism?
0: Well, I mean I think they've done a pretty good job of it and I underst of, and especially of, of making us understand where he's coming from, but I'm also fully aware that he's being an idiot and he's gonna lose Jane because of it. So I don't, you know, it's another one of those things where it's like, oh, that's too bad. But you get what you, you reap what you sow. So, you know, you don't get I'm not going to I'm not going to sit there at the pity party feeling super bad for you when this blows up in your face because you're an idiot.
2: <laughs> All right. Appar- uh,
0: apparently just like, you know, <laughs> knock me down with a really you know, with with the, with the flu or cold or whatever I have, and I just all my sympathy goes away. I guess
2: right. The uh, the Kate Kelsey sympathy matrix gets complicated again. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, uh, any any predictions for the finale? I
0: I think they'll go full telenovela with it and uh, really have fun. Kill Michael? No, they're not going to kill Michael. <laughs> There's too much potential <laughs> for angst next season. Uh, but I would not. I I I'm hoping to come up with a different a cliffhanger than her choosing between the two guys. And I feel like that's sort of, that's just the, such an expected way for them to end that I I'm hoping they find a way to undercut that or do something, you know, very different. And yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'll, I'll leave that there. Cause I have other thoughts on a similar note for elsewhere in the podcast. So I'll, I'll just leave that there. How about you?
2: Uh no I completely agree I I need them to to do to do something more creative than that and I think they can be counted on to do that hopefully
0: fair enough uh, let's move on to Louis Untitled and uh, I don't have many thoughts about this episode um other than I th- I thought it was effective the, it had one of the weakest moments of performance from C K in a, quite a while for me which was his when he's talking to himself trying to like calm himself down in bed I just it felt very acty um, mm-hmm. not nearly as naturalistic as, as CK usually is and he's certainly grown as an actor over the course of the series and so I was a little, that was a little jarring for me um, but the, my number one takeaway from this episode is ah, a guy jumping on things
2: <laughs> ah. uh, I wasn't wild about this episode but I will say that yes the first appearance of yeah, no face beady eyes dude was extremely creepy
0: and second and third, or was it just twice? I may be blocking Oh, him no, he out. shows up a bunch
2: of times. Yeah. But especially the first time. For me, when um, he was in
0: the doctor's office with Grodin, that was the worst one, because <laughs> I didn't realize yet that he was sleeping. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, I like that this is a show that has just added uh, scary to its repertoire of things that it can do, uh, and I loved, you you can find it the, the full version on YouTube now. Uh, it's not a lot longer, but it does add an excellent little coda. Um, I loved the the like fr- the fake old diarrhea song at the end, <laughs> which I could imagine if you were watching live and not really paying attention, you wouldn't even notice until maybe it was almost over. Um yeah. So that was that was great, and there was a couple of little moments here and there, but as just the, the conceit of the episode seemed a little bit flimsy for for Louis.
0: Yeah, it it was uh, some of the best music they've had in quite a while on the show. Uh, not just that song, but also the scoring earlier, because I've been missing. The memorable and uh, very, like, the symbiotic relationship the show has had in previous seasons between the the rest of the storytelling and the scoring, and that seemed to come back a little bit here, so hopefully that's a sign of more to come.
2: Yes. Also, uh, lastly, always, 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 always happy to get Todd Berry back. Yeah. Uh, he's he's he just kills it. Off. He only ever has one note to play on this show, but it's such a good note.
0: Oh, it's so wonderful. Absolutely agree. But well, Louis isn't the only one having bad dreams or having a hard time sleeping. Because on Silicon Valley, we we get uh running gag here with uh the Middle Ditches characters' night sweats. Uh, I don't know, how did, why is everybody obsessed with this notion of him wetting the bed when he clearly has sweat stains around his neck? I mean, like, how did the urine get up there, but not to the rest of his shirt, you know?
2: I think it's just because he seems like the bedwetter sort, okay. uh, I, I think is the idea, but I mean, th- that's sort of a problem throughout this episode of, of this focus on sort of more puerile humor, which is not, I don't think the show's forte, um, Especially that that awful sequence involving the monkey at Hooley mm-hmm. So what was that?
0: I, it worked for me at first, uh, but it went on a bit a bit long. I really did like the performance. Oh, I don't have the actor's name in front of me, but I've enjoyed him but for that guy. Yeah, going back to like Nash Bridges, yeah, I, I've liked that guy. Um, that's gonna drive me nuts. Commenters, listeners, please let us know. Shame me on this one. I should know. Oh. I used to know his name. Stood- also
2: Mulholland Drive and a million and other a things. A million.
0: And he's been on everything. And he's he's always good. And he's very good here. I'm a little disappointed he won't be seeing him again. But, uh, yeah, I, that conversation with those two characters and just the, you know, it's a monkey with a robot arm. Come on. That's cool.
2: Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know, man. This episode didn't do a ton for me, if only because... Uh, this is it just me or is this season just like crawling in terms of pace?
0: The pacing is really working for me actually, and like I because it, it seems like it's taking the, the logical step, the next logical step. And we're going to talk about this a little bit with Veep where, you know, I feel like Veep is just skipping over so much that it's, it's running into the opposite issue. So for you, maybe Silicon mm-hmm. Valley is crawling, but for me it's, it's, you know, now the next step. So now they need the servers and now they need this. Um, I would anticipate by the end of the season, they'll be in a very different place than they are now. But for me, it works. Uh, and I, I, I I think go to go back to the pure All comedy thing. I think part of it is that while Zach Woods nails it, I don't expect that from his character. But I did like everything else with Zach Woods in this episode. The 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 sleep German was pretty great. Yes. How do you feel about the rest? Uh,
2: like I said, did it, it, it this this episode just felt a little bit too sticky to me, right up to the very sitcommy resolution of of what they do with the neighbor and stuff like that. I will say that I I, I like that we finally get Gilfoyle. Applying himself and showing what his, you know, why he's there and what he can do. Uh, so that was great. But uh, beyond that, not a, not, all, not all that notable an episode for me.
0: Well, do you agree about Veep then? Uh, for me, the, having this episode be set several weeks after the previous episode, uh, I guess so that they can fast forward the Karen relationship, really undercut everything that we get with the Veep's office and several... I mean, the timing and the pacing of the season for Veep is starting to to, to become an issue for me. I guess uh,
2: is that mostly because you're used to the show being uh, sort of rolling along a bit more casually.
0: Well, last season was very; it was almost breathless. It was very very tightly constructed. I think this just elements of this episode, and I talk about this in my review at the AV Club, just felt very convenient or contrived. So, at the end of the previous episode. The, the vice president is told about the data mining and because we get that great line from Amy of when Sue tells her, Amy, go back in time and make that not have happened. Um, you know, and, and then at the start of this episode, we have Teddy telling the vice president, by the way, here's this thing that's been going on. It's like, but it's been several weeks. That's not you don't get to have an outraged reaction on the moral stance of something that that Selena Meyer has done if you've known about it for three weeks and have done nothing.
2: Uh, yeah, that hadn't really occurred to me, but but uh, that's that's certainly a valid point. I mean, t- to me, uh, the, my my takeaways for this episode uh, were, were a little simpler. I mean, obviously Anna Chlumsky's breakdown, uh, it it uh, it, it was au- amazing. It, it was amazing. It was. I was surprised that she was taking it out on Selena and not Karen. Um but uh especially considering that's the definition of career suicide and i don't really know what what happens to her after this um i wouldn't be surprised honestly if if her and dan both end up back in 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 her office as some sort of package deal but um i i have to say despite the literal fanfare i wasn't bowled over by the appearance of hugh Laurie.
0: Yeah, and, well, quickly, because you got to talk about Amy's breakdown if you're going to talk about this episode, because it's amazing, or her just, like, I don't know, I don't, Dan had a breakdown. This was a bubbling over of so much anger for so long, and I thought it really worked. I really liked how it started as such a straightforward, just, utter takedown of Karen and then she promptly moved on because Karen is basic and Karen is not interesting enough to to make the reason Amy's so annoyed is not because Karen's an idiot it's because of how Selena has been treating Amy all season and the the entire campaign has been treating or the, the the team I should say because she's always been kept out of the loop Selena makes her the campaign manager but then she she has been Over, uh, over Amy as far as confidences, which okay, fair enough. Ben's her chief advisor, but then she brings in Erickson, and you know, and creates tension there. And then she brings in Karen, and both of those people supplant Amy and Selena's confidence, and undermine what she's trying to do consistently throughout the season to the point where Amy has shown herself to actually be competent and good in her job. She's as close as anybody comes to being right on this show. She's been right this season, and she's constantly ignored. It's like she said in the previous episode... I'm I'm on life support and they're unplugging the machines to charge their phones so you know I I like that we get a little bit of a reason why has she been putting up with this so long it's not just you know why isn't she quietly exited it's because she has this connection to the notion of the first female president and what that means and what that means for a generation of women and for the country um and it's also just because you know Selena's been ignoring her. But I really like the way that played out. started, you know, laugh out, laugh out loud funny. It ended very pointed and very sincere, very, um, very dramatic, much like the, you know, an inverse of the Gary, uh, scene that we got in East Wing. Um, but to then continue on, uh, the, I absolutely agree. We get this huge buildup to Hugh Laurie's appearance and, and the, the Veep comment boards over at the AV Club, there's been a lot of you know, anticipation for him, because uh, he's awesome. And if you don't know that Hillary's great at comedy, you probably haven't watched House, but you definitely haven't watched Blackadder, because he's awesome on Blackadder. Um, and, and then it's just very much anti-climax. I, I wrote in my review that he's just very neutral. His accent is neutral, and his demeanor is neutral. And I, if you're going to spend an entire episode building up to him, Tom James, Tom James, let him be a character. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, hopefully, I I have every confidence that they'll fix that. Yeah. Once he gets a a full episode, but yeah, Ianucci and co are people who know how to write a character entrance, uh, and yeah. this didn't this this did not uh, strike me as as being a particularly memorable one. So hopefully they can. I I have no doubt they'll write the ship with that. These guys know how to how to create distinctive comic personalities, uh, and I don't. And I can't imagine that that Hugh Laurie would sign on for a boring character. So, uh, I'm sure his quirks will, will emerge soon enough.
0: Yeah, and I don't need him to be a character. I don't need him to be a quirk machine. But ha- bringing him on to be a normal guy that everybody's just like really excited about, and that's what's funny, is that everybody is being reacting to normal things that he does in an over-the-top way uh that's gonna get old that got old in just the few minutes he was in this episode so um yeah like you say I'm sure that they'll have something more interesting for him to do in the next episode um I also have to give a shout out to Sue's elated face
1: yes. delightful
0: and um I the stuff with Dan I'm really not I don't I don't care we haven't talked about it yet um it's not working for me yet what do you think
2: yeah, no. I mean, I, I liked the the bit of awkwardness we got with with when uh, when Amy is out and they have to try to try and utterly fail to bullshit their way through it. But yeah, it's. I agree that even even the look of those scenes with that sort of silvery, uh, uh silvery tone that seems like it's out of a totally different universe uh, makes those scenes feel very disconnected in a way that's somewhat disorienting.
0: Yeah, they're definitely going for this world is gray and boring, and the Veeps world. I mean, like. She's wearing like a peachish reddish dress. The like Gary's wearing like purple and orange. Like like it's a very the they have not been more blatant in their color choices, color coding on the show in quite a long time, um, as they are in this episode. But yeah, I'm ready for him to be doing something else. And now we've got theoretically Jonah and Richard are on their way out because their guy is going to be leaving in a few months, and Dan's out and Amy's out and you know the data mining thing is going to come back, and somebody's going to have to take the fall for that. There's a lot there's a lot hanging on this, you know, that could really change in the second half of the season. Uh,
2: yeah. I, I, again, I, I won't be surprised if they do some sort of get-the-gang-back-together thing uh, just because this is a sitcom, and they have an ensemble, and I don't see why they would want to mess with that too much, or at yep. least more than they already have.
0: Yep. Uh, so we will... Uh... Well, I guess let's leave it there. And, uh, but yeah, a, a bad or a weaker episode of Veep is still an entertaining episode of television. Uh, but I think they can do a lot better. So I'm I'm hoping that we'll get that next week. Uh, I'm not hoping we'll get that next week for Inside Amy Schumer because I don't know if that they will top this. The rest of the season, Um, 12 Angry Men Inside Amy Schumer is the episode, especially because of the way it's been talked about by some of the creatives involved by some of the other writers and directors on Inside Amy Schumer who talked about this as like her magnum opus. Um, So I wouldn't anticipate anything similar to this for the rest of the season of Inside Amy Schumer. But even if the rest of the season is just a straightforward, you know, what we've come to expect from her kind of season, I don't care because I love this episode so much.
2: Yeah, uh, I I don't really know what to what to say about it that hasn't already been said, except that much like uh, Football Town Nights, you know, this is the this is the rare uh, parody or homage that works on a whole bunch of different levels. But unlike uh, that one or unlike any other sketch he's ever done, it actually lasts for almost almost not quite uh, the entire episode. And, uh, it's just reading of it was great. It was great that especially Seppenwald did all those interviews with the creatives involved, and we got to hear about the, the, the fact that it was actually like a pretty agonizing writing process. And, you know, even, even just this notion of, okay, I have to sit down and write, uh, 20 to 30 pages of horrible, horrible things people could feasibly say about me, and then try to have it be funny. Uh, and then to filter that through this, uh, Immaculate style parody of of Sydney Lemay, along with this ridiculously stacked cast. I mean that that's that's a that's that's not something you can really repeat.
0: No, no, it is. And I have a strong affinity for the original film. I I've not read the play or seen it uh, put on as a play, but I have seen the film several times and. Uh, uh, I, and by the way, I'll also point out the hand thing about John Hawks. because you have mentioned as soon as you notice he has big hands, you can't not see it. That's also just an angle thing, because I remember that from the original film, just being like that is Fonda's hand is the largest hand that has ever been a hand. Um, so right. I think there's also some angle work in there too. But
2: um okay. no, the, you may also just have a small head.
0: Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? The yeah, but it is <laughs> it is very noticeable. Uh, yeah. Th- this the whole cast really commits to it and goes for it. I love the specificity of it, of their performances, but also, like you said, the camera work, the it being in black and white, and even, like, the horn scoring as they come in, you know, back every time. Just wonderful. Um, every time I watch it and I've seen it, like, four times at this point. I'm probably going to watch it again uh, the, later this week once I sit my parents down and get them to watch it. My sister loved it, but I haven't gotten a chance to, to make my, my parents watch it yet. Anyways, uh, every time I watch it, I have a new favorite line or favorite performer, which, you know, the fact that it lives up so well to re-watching, it shows the density of it and the how much is going on in the backgrounds of the scenes. Uh, this last time, I think I would give it to Nanjiani, uh, which... With apparently one of the very few ad-libbed lines, the uh, dildo-related arguments line is was apparently his. Um, But uh, no, there's so much, there's so much to love about this episode, and not the least of which is the commentary. And, And listening to the reactions online have have been really great. I I was very pleasantly surprised to see, not surprised, but I guess I was very grateful to see how well received it was, even if not nearly as many people watched it as I would have liked. Basically, everybody that I saw who watched it loved it and had to talk about it, but a lot of people that I follow didn't watch it, and that's disappointing to me.
2: Uh, I mean, I get the impression, uh, based on a lot of people that I follow, that a lot of people just don't like humor, which I think is totally fine, um, mm-hmm. but I still think that if you don't uh, like her or, or find her comic sensibilities particularly interesting, you should still watch the episode, if only because she's not really in it, um, yeah, which might help you, don't, you. You don't like
0: funny things, things that are funny, because this is one of them. If you don't like her, okay, I can understand that, but this is its, its own thing. It's not like her stand up, you know. It's yeah, I, I don't get, I don't, I don't understand people not liking her. I get not liking her brand of comedy or not being, in, you know, not liking uh, more ribald humor, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I just, it's, I think it's so great. I just. I can't get over it. Uh so but yeah, there was a lot of consensus amongst, you know, the critics, I guess, that I follow. And I was glad to see, you know, so quickly after it got the peabody, them being like, Yeah, in case you weren't sure, here. For you. Here, the here it is. Here it is. Uh so pick, yeah. pick a juror. Who who's your who's your performance of the episode or like this last time that you saw it, who who stood out the most?
2: Um I always loved Paul Giamatti on this show. Um, yeah he just he he doesn't get to to be funny enough and uh like i just saw a trailer for him in san andreas and i was like oh dude come on <laughs> do 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 more do more stuff like this please um uh, let me think uh i really love giamatti uh hawks is it was such a great choice for the the sympathetic every man who talks straight to everyone um and also the fact that I haven't seen him in anything in a long time really helped.
0: I loved the deadpan of Goldblum of like just how dry his delivery is throughout. It just and it, it's such a great contrast to these larger performances like <laughs> G- Giamatti being furious and you know it's to then just have him just kind of sitting and doing this really very bloom but very uh, small delivery worked very well.
2: Yeah, as small as Goldblum can get anyway. Yeah.
0: And, you know, he may have been a total dick to uh, a critic not understanding a comedic piece that the critic wrote uh, this week. But Nick DiPaolo does do a very good job in his role. So if he can just, you know, not talk. Tune out. Just, you know, just it, it's like the, the Jeremy Renner thing where it's just like, just stop oh god Just if you could just act and then not you know like not exist just like pop into a different dimension for your press appearances and then come back and act and be good in things that would be awesome uh, so <laughs> that's sort of where I'm at with DiPaolo right now also very good on Louis this week
2: yes um, I mean you, you get it uh, it's really really good you should watch it we loved it we'll be talking about it again at some point I'm sure
0: yeah, definitely. I would be very surprised if it didn't come up in conversation at the end of the year. Um, and so on that note, the least suspenseful question ever, what wins your week in comedy?
2: I will give it to humor this week.
0: Yeah, definitely inside Amy Schumer this week. And um, It's not even close. But uh, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre.
2: He was a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way.
1: He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was the top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft He's in the Army now, a blowin' reveille He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B They made him blow a bugle for his Uncle Sam It really brought him down because he couldn't jam The captain seemed to understand because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille He's the boogie-woogie bucle boy of Company B A toot, a toot, a toot tilly a toot He blows the day to the bar In boogie rhythm he can't blow a note Unless the bass and guitar is playing with him He makes a company jump when he plays Reveille He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B
0: this weekend genre, I'm going to do a quick roundup of The Flash, Grod Lives, Arrow, This Is Your Sword, and Supernatural Dark Dynasty, before Simon, you talk a bit about Game of Thrones, Kill the Boy, and then we'll both dive in with Orphan Black, newer elements of our defense, Penny Dreadful, Vervis Diablo, and uh, Outlander, The Search. Uh, every time, Latin, Vs or Ws, guys? Verbis, verbis. Uh, anyways, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to Penny Dreadful. But first uh, up, uh, let me quickly say here at the top, Wayward Pines is debuting this week on Fox. We've already talked about it, given given our preview of the season back when they released the pilot episode out uh, streaming online. So you can go back to one of our previous episodes. I think it's two weeks back to get our thoughts on that. Um, we said check it out, right, as I recall.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: Cautiously optimistic. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit this week about Flash, Arrow, and Supernatural, and that's because, well, first of all, I, I had a, we had the super I had the Supernatural thing this weekend, and there was a very eventful episode this week. Second of all, because I covered Arrow for the B Club this week, so you can read my review there. I filled in for Alistair, and then Flash, they had a super intelligent psychic gorilla as the antagonist of the episode and it totally worked. It was awesome. Can you imagine other, like we've seen other shows do gorillas and most notably this last season that was the the hundred did not work, Uh, but they've done such a great job of building up Grodd very gradually throughout the season. And more specifically having him be a a minor part of this episode, having there be much more significant things going on um, within the character dynamics that it really Really worked, can you believe it, Simon? Do you believe me when I say that there was a flash episode with a super intelligent gorilla who doesn't speak but has mental abilities and it was good
2: no, but I believe that you believe it
0: <laughs> oh fair enough i I will take it um i I think arrow you know having Iris finally in on the secret and specifically having her figure it out instead of being told by uh, all of the men in her life who have been lying to her about it. Uh, I think was good. I really liked the, the, her takedown of the paternalistic bullshit that they've been pulling about why they can't tell her. Uh, and I'm hoping that this leads to more interesting things to come for the character as well as the show. Um, I again, I just they've they've done a really good job with much of of Flash this season. And now that everything's out in the open, they're heading towards the finale. Uh, Wells is is you know full on villain villaining and. Uh, you know the potential for time travel wackiness is there. They could, you know, who knows what they could do. There's a lot of possibilities. I think it could be very interesting. And um, again, kudos, kudos for a, a compelling, entertaining episode titled "Grod Lives." Well done, The Flash. As for Arrow, uh, yeah, I was much less enthused about this episode. The the whole non bot thing and. Roz's obsession with Ollie uh, taking over as Rosa uh, Rachel Ghoul um I just I don't think it's worked well for the season. I, there's been a lot of problems in this season. One of the things they've done very well on over the course of the season is really strengthening Laurel and giving her not just making her physically strong but giving her a lot more uh motivation and g- getting her much more involved in what's going on. I like that I've really liked her relationship with Nyssa in the past couple episodes, and uh, I'm disappointed we don't see them interact here. The, the the utter waste of Nyssa in this episode is very frustrating, because I think she would find more to do than just be terrified by, or, hara- or terrorized by, I should say, her father, and not find a way to escape. The whole episode builds to this ridiculous cliffhanger, um, wherein... Ollie allows all of his friends to be exposed to a gas that instantly kills people. But we know he's not been brainwashed, and we know that he is scheming. And yet they ask us to believe that all of his friends are now about to die. It's like, dude, we've seen this show. We know you're not going to kill... We know it's a TV show, so we know you're not going to kill off all your characters. They're all in the same place. Either they're all going to die or none of them are going to die. And spoiler alert, we know which one it isn't. And not just because some of them are headed to the spinoff that you've been highly publicizing. um. But even aside from that, we know Oliver wouldn't allow all of his friends to be killed in front of him. It's just, it's really sloppy writing. its They they needed to either change that cliffhanger, not present it as a cliffhanger, or they needed to not have us find out at the very beginning of the episode that Ollie was not, in fact, brain- brainwashed. Uh, The fact that felicity seems most upset about the fact that ollie's engaged when you know he kidnapped her friend last week uh or i should say one of her good friend's wives uh and you know held her hostage um and then he's disappeared and he's threatening uh to kill everybody but oh no you're engaged (gasps) i mean come on guys i remember when felicity was you know the highlight of the show and they've just been letting her down. They're obsessed with this like tortured love, but I love him. I'm like, guys, no, no, just like send Felicity off to the spinoff or just write Ali off or just, I don't know, start treating your characters more sensibly and treating your audience with more respect. Sorry. I got got a little worked up there. Um, I think maybe because I'm a little upset with supernatural, dark dynasty, because it appears at the end of this episode that they killed Charlie I, it doesn't feel like they killed Charlie because of the way the episode is structured. You know, Simon, how you'll have whenever you have an episode where a character getting written off, if it's a character that has as strong a relationship with the show and the fan base and the creators, as you know, Felicia Day does on Supernatural, you can tell, right? It's that they have a last episode, they have something significant to do, they get some character beats, they, the actor gets, you know, anything to play, and that's not what happened here, and so that's why I don't. Trust them that this Charlie death will stick if she is indeed dead. However, co-executive producer of Supernatural, Robbie Thompson, did make it seem as if that was the case at the thing this weekend. So, um, I don't know what to think, and I'm going to withhold judgment until, you know, we get a little bit more finality to that. Uh, so, I'll say is if they do, in fact, kill off Charlie, I think that's a waste of a, of a much-needed character on the show, and they're gonna have a hard time finding another character to fill that space, um, who's anywhere near as interesting or compelling or as gonna fit with the show as Felicia Day has been on Supernatural. So, um I don't believe them. And maybe I'm in denial. So that that's where I'll leave Supernatural. <laughs> but you know what I mean, when you have a very special yeah, episode. Yeah. yeah. yeah let's let's move on to the shows you've seen, though, because I've been talking here way too long. I'm going to drink some of my tea. Uh, what did you think of Game of Thrones Kill the Boy?
2: Uh, I'm on Game of Thrones writing duty this week, uh, so my review is, uh, as of this moment, mostly written and will be up certainly uh, well before this episode does uh, over on Sound On Sight. I thought it was a really good episode. Um, normally, uh, I think this would have been like a boring table-setting episode any other season of the show, but what everything that's going on is so charged, and the the plot, even the plot lines that are physically, uh, very disparate, uh, have uh, have a lot of connections that are made. Uh, I think I think that are better made than they have been in past seasons, both historical, and future, if that makes any sense. And uh, also the fact that we that that they've been consistently dropping about two or three plot lines at a time. Uh, week to week I think has been a really great move you know we, we get no Cersei this week we, we get no Arya this week we get nothing in Dorne this week and I was totally cool with that um, and just uh, that sort of extended focus on just a few plot lines I think worked really well uh, yeah lots of good stuff this week I don't want to talk too long about it because we got a whole other podcast to deal with that so and also you know time but yes it was, it was good for for a relatively uneventful episode I thought it was uh, quite strong
0: any thoughts on uh feeding people to dragons or Danny getting married
2: um i'm not sure that i believe danny's going to get married I, I mean if only because that character we've seen so little of that character and i i i mean i guess he would have to be uh made made Im- immediately more prominent. Uh we'll see where that goes, but yes, the the dragon feeding was gnarly and awesome.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, listeners, can you hear my thoughts on the Son of the Game of Thrones podcast, uh which by the time you're hearing this, should already be up in your feed um or at least uh it'll be up soon. Um but I'll I like the episode and I have many thoughts on Danny and Jorah and uh getting to see Valyria. So, Check out the, the the Game of Thrones podcast. Um, for now, let's move on to Orphan Black, newer elements of our defense, and my review of this episode, along with last week's episode, um, is up at Sound on Sight by the time you're hearing this. And uh, turns out, uh, maybe I was right about who's going to last out the season, because Mark is stupidly not dead.
2: Uh, Wait a minute. Didn't you say, though, that he
0: was going to be dead? No, I said that there would be only a couple left, and one of them would be Mark. That was my initial prediction.
2: Okay, so you were right. I was right, and then I was
0: wrong, because there was no good reason for him not to have been dead, and then they made sure that there was no good reason for him to not be dead by not having him be dead.
2: Let me just double-check the blocking of this scene, or I should say the two scenes between the two episodes. So uh, the mom goes out to the field and shoots him and then leaves Yeah, shoots him twice,
0: yeah shoots him in the gut, shoots him in the leg, does not shoot him in the, in the head or the chest, uh, and just goes like, mm, I've got people coming. They can just finish him. Off. Why would I finish him off right now? When I could go skulk around looking for, in case someone else is there, it would take me like two seconds to actually kill this guy. They can just do it.
2: <sighs> Orphan black. What is going on with you these days? Um, there was a lot of annoying stuff in this episode, uh, that was, I mean, the fact that it opens with that, I think was a pretty good sign that it was, there was going to be some, some annoying junk. Is this whole season just going to be chasing after stuff? Is that what it's going like. to be? Like, it, it's basically like the, the, the scavenger hunt season. And I'm very bored of it.
0: Well, I really like some of the stuff that's going on. I, I mean, with, uh, Donnie and Allison, I like all of that on a different show. Um... Which is the issue, uh, and and also I talked about this earlier with Louis um, and CK's performance. This is the first time that I feel like I was seeing Maslani, and not the characters in in several of the performances. The phone call between Allison and uh, Kasima didn't feel to me like Allison and Kasima. And when Helena is is escaping out of jail, the faces she was making that looked like sarah that didn't look like helena to me is that were you noticing that as well or is that just me
2: i i hadn't noticed that but it's interesting that what those things have in common is um neither scene involves an actor playing off another actor um they really have to just rely on their own reserves which admittedly maslani has had to do from the beginning um i mean i guess i was too busy being annoyed by by the plot to pick up on any on any uh, sort of performative deficiencies if uh, if you want to put it that way i guess i i feel like orphan black kind of screwed itself by being so crackerjack from the beginning when it would probably be better served being a more casual show that only occasionally services plot and features its characters hang getting to hang out more like w- whatever we get just felix and and uh and Casimo for instance this episode just like chilling and like you need to go out and have a drink like this should be a show that allows half an episode of just those characters getting to hang out and cut loose, but it's not. It can only do that for about 5 to 10% of any given episode, mm-hmm. which is a real shame.
0: Yeah, well, and you talk about uh, acting off of each other, um, that Helena breakout scene like didn't feel like um, Helena to me, but as soon as she's talking to the Scorpion, it did. So, you know, mm-hmm. so, and the scorpion's not there and yet uh that felt much more Helena to me than like the, the expressions that she's like trying to turn the, the thing and she's looking for the camera and all that. Like yeah, it's it's an odd thing. I really like that Kasima and and um Felix Bar scene, like you said, and I think there's you know, the 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 exchange like with Donnie and Allison, I really like that. Um but again, this just this seems so scatter, uh, scattered this season, and I really would like it to have more cohesion, and I certainly um, did not care. They, they really wanted us to care when we had the double Ari Millen scene um, here with, at least it seemed like with the way it was shot and, like, stand down, soldier, and all that, we were supposed to be like, oh my god! But we've been seeing multiple Millens in the scene for a while. It's not like this was the first one of the season, and it just didn't, I don't know, it didn't really, I was underwhelmed. It wasn't, you know, good wife, Kalinda, Alicia underwhelmed, we'll get there, but I was <laughs> underwhelmed.
2: Yeah. Um, well, also, that it's another one of those, we're really trying to ramp up the thread and make it seem like we're going to kill off Sarah. It's like, come it's like, on, dude. She's
0: the main character, you're not going to kill her, so we we know that.
2: Just because there's five Mislantes doesn't mean you're going to kill any of them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let's move on to our next show, uh, that's Penny Dreadful. Uh, verbis, uh, verbis diablo, or as you would actually say in Latin, vis w's, verbis diablo. Uh, I know that's a pet peeve of mine. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I had an excellent Latin teacher in high school, and wheny uh, Witty wiki people, not veni vidi vici uh, It's not a hard thing. Anyways, uh, yes, and I know church Latin versus regular Latin. Does, I don't care. It's a pet peeve. <laughs> Let's talk about this episode. I care more about the pronunciation of Latin than I do about this episode. However, I have to admit there was some particularly effective moments here. What did you think about the return of Dorian Gray, of the introduction of Lily as opposed to Brona? You know, how are they handling all these elements?
2: First of all, credit where it's due, peen on the screen in 15.
0: Mm-hmm. Raise a glass to Angelique.
2: Yep. Uh, so that's definitely notable. I mean, what I literally just said about Orphan Black and how it should be the sort of show where people can hang out for half the episode, which is what Penny Dreadful was this week, which mm-hmm. always makes me happy because... The best parts of the show are frequently the ones where people are just sitting around talking, which is not what you would expect for a show that is so theoretically plot-driven and and moody and atmospheric. And like, if Caliban got to just chill out and talk about religion and yeah, you know, and, and you know talk about paganism and morality and just you know ch- chill out in in, in the, uh, the the cholera pit if you want if you want to call it that with with Vanessa or whatever. I would like Caliban way more, but Mm -hmm. then he has to, but then he has to like go off and be moody Caliban, hanging out with the doctor or, uh, anyway, I don't know. He just, he does not feel like the same character at all, which is deeply frustrating.
0: Yeah. I Uh, like, I like soup Caliban, you know, that, that's, that's a character I can get behind. Uh, angsty, like sweep his hair over his eyes, you know, emo high schooler Caliban. I'm not interested in.
2: Yeah. We need chill Caliban. We need way yeah. more chill Caliban. <laughs> but uh, and also, I did when when we even just got a reference to Proteus this week. I was like, oh, dude, don't remind us about Proteus. He was so much better. Yeah. Anyway, everything with Chandler and Lyle was just so great. Uh, even if he is a turncoat, Gah. absolutely,
0: very good. Once again, Hartnett is the surprise uh, highlight of the show for, for me. And uh, yeah, the 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 stuff with with Brona or with Lily. I was hoping to like more now that uh, Billy Piper's not saddled with that Irish accent, but it just the writing of it was just so. Teach me about the ways of love. Like I just kept waiting, you know. Like, it's it's so over the top and, and not in the traditional Penny dreadful way. Just like we get it, he wants to bang her. Can we like? Come on, guys. So it's just like slightly,
2: <laughs> it's slightly Penny more. Everyone wants to bang everyone. We get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it was and and again, and the creepiness of it, which i I just think they're not doing a good enough job of of layering things to make that kind of that dynamic more interesting. It's very straightforward, and um plus we've already seen him you know fondle her dead boob, so it's kind of hard for me to root for that relationship like I think they're gonna want me to uh, what did you think about our creepy, creepy puppet?
2: Oh my God! well, first of all, again with the talking I all the scenes of McCrory and Dalton just, just chilling around shooting guns uh mm-hmm. talking about stuff again these to me like were were the best scenes of the episode that being said, uh, oh, uh that was definitely one of the if not the creepiest version of a voodoo doll uh ever, if only because it was so grisly and I, I like that they broke two taboos in this episode. One of them was peeing on the screen. The other one was dead baby guts. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how to react to that, except that it happened.
0: Here's the baby. Here's the start. It's now going in the stall. Yay! Uh, yeah, it is very, um, yeah. They they just go for it. And, that, and that's the thing that you got to like about Penny Dreadful. If you don't like that about Penny Dreadful, you're not watching it. Um, and so, yeah, you got to appreciate their their kind of gonzo over the top. Uh, willingness to go there. Um, I just wish, you know, especially to follow up last week's ridiculously unnecessary female nudity with some Pete on the screen was a a nice, you know, salve maybe on that.
2: Yeah, Penny Dreadful's usually been pretty good about being equal opportunity about that. And, uh, yeah, also the Vanessa doll was really creepy.
0: Super creepy. Um, Any predictions for next week, or is it not even worth it because they're gonna go crazy?
2: Uh... Crazy is good. Uh, for some reason, the extremes with Penny Dreadful are good. the The casual, talky stuff is really good. The batshit crazy stuff is really good. The stuff that is that he was a little bit too close, too you know, too close to the familiar. I think is is where it where it falls short.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. It's 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 like the the total mundane. The drinking, you know, having some soup or you know, walking, going for a walk, great. The carving a baby's heart out of its chest and putting it into a creepy, creepy, creepy doll. Great. The other stuff, uh, guy yeah. investigating the werewolf murders, not so sure about yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, we'll 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 keep up with Penny Dreadful at least in a, another couple weeks though. See where it's going. But for now, let's move on to Outlander: The Search. And um, I'm torn on this episode because I loved that they showed Jenny doing the you know medieval version of the pump and dump, uh, and. You know, inc- incorporated that. I, I thought that was fantastic. I love the go get him like energy of that early part of the episode. But this whole episode could have just, you know, by the time she meets up with, the, you know, they they, they uh, meet up with I can't remember the character's Murtaugh. name, the, the guy, Murtaugh, who joins them. They, he could have just said, yeah, he's been taken here, and then the whole rest of the episode could have just been excised, and it could have just gone
2: to get him. Uh, I mean, this this idea of her of them cooking up this scheme that she's going to sing, that they're going to become like a touring outfit and he's going to dance and she's going to sing. It's amusing for about five minutes and then it takes up half an hour (laughs) of the episode with like this whole sub -sub subplot about keeping the rights to the song and basically just this whole thing about. Um, trying to make sure they're the only ones singing it, and the gypsies—those gypsies—one of my least favorite, uh, <laughs> recurring TV TV tropes about you can't trust them gypsies. Um, not so great, and that, and also just, Outlander really hurts, uh, or, or, or is sometimes really hurt by its running length. Like it's a full hour every week. It, it, and the fact that this is the story it takes up on almost almost a full hour with is a little bit is a little bit insane, especially because uh, it ends with that big ramp up to the assault on the prison, which we get next week. Like, oh, come on, Outlander.
0: Yeah, it just really feels like this is stuff, and I don't know because I haven't read the books. It just feels this reeks of it's in the books so that we have to do it, and you don't. You could have done this in five minutes and then, you know, had her get, the, instead of having the gypsies, they perform the song a couple of times and they get the message and they go to the place and there's McTavish. Like there's, they could have just done that. You don't need to, just cause it's in the book doesn't mean you need to do it. And just cause it works and is great in the book doesn't mean it's going to work and be great here. So, uh, yeah, with only a couple episodes left, it just really felt like filling time, um, in a way that I do not think they intended. Uh, any other thoughts on Outlander? Are you excited for what's coming next? Uh,
2: I wish I could be, but I uh, I also, you know, they're not going to kill Jamie. They're not going to kill her. I, I, So I don't believe them when they keep talking about how insanely difficult this prison thing is going to be.
0: Yeah, she's not going to end up married to anyone else because they're not going to kill Jamie because that's their show. So it, it's really hard to invest in the stakes of that. Um, I absolutely agree. Uh, well, then what wins your week
2: in genre? I will give it to um. I'll give it to Thrones. Thrones had a really strong episode.
0: Um, I'm gonna give it to Flash, uh, because Grad, yeah, fair
2: because enough. Because
0: Grad and Iris and lots of other things too. But I mean, come on, come on. Anyways, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in drama.
1: Every day. Is-
0: This week in drama, I'm going to talk briefly about Wolf Hall, which just wrapped up its first season uh, airing in the U.S. Then you'll talk a bit about uh, Montage of Hex, Simon, uh, airing on HBO. And we'll both talk about the Good Wife finale, Wanna Partner, as well as Mad Men's uh, penultimate episode, The Milk and Honey Root. I just wanted to mention Wolf Hall up at the top here, because I, when we talked about it on the podcast originally, I hadn't seen it. And you weren't the biggest fan. Uh, I did make time to watch uh, the whole th- first season, a while back, and figured I should chime in here now that the now that it's done. I think that the performances, some of them, um, are really interesting, and uh, certainly anybody who likes a period drama, I'm sure, was really enjoying this. But for, what really stood out for me more than anything else was the cinematography. I loved the look of it. I loved the the lighting of it. How dark everything is. I mean, because I think one of those one of the single biggest elements that Make something feel artificial when I'm watching these period pieces is how much light there is. It really stood out to me when I was watching Lincoln, for example. Every time there's any, the film, anytime there's light, you can see where it's coming from. And when it's, you know, when the sun goes down, there's not much of it, guys. So I really appreciated um, that element to the series. It gave uh, this first season a lot of more painterly, visuals uh, especially as you're you know candlelight is very bright when you have nothing else but it's still it's just a candle so I really like the way their use of light and uh, shadow throughout the season I think they could have done a better job with Cromwell's motivations the performance the character and the performance are both very internal but I really had a hard time figuring out if when he was being sincere and when he wasn't and that didn't seem like it was the point of the show Um like he, like, he wasn't sure, and they was figuring out, and they were trying to explore how sincere is he about religion, how, you know, how much is, does he believe in the king, how much is he just trying to survive. Um, honestly, like, Mad Men, it feels like that's what the show's about, you know, the, these contradictions and these this duality. Here, it seemed like they didn't know, or it just kind of changed between episodes and um and that may be a much more accurate depiction of the historical figure but as a as a narrative as a fiction piece um it was un- a little unsatisfying unsatisfying for me but um, certainly i can absolutely see why people like it and uh, and really connect with it and i'll probably watch some if the i'm assuming i'm assuming there's going to be a season two do you know about this
2: i would assume so yes
0: yeah um so you know we'll I'll be back for, for season two or series two of Wolf Hall. What about you, Simon? Are you going to check back in if it gets renewed?
2: Uh, I very well might, but it's uh, there's so much to think about before that happens.
0: Yeah, that's true. What did you think of Montage of Heck? Uh,
2: for The Uninitiated, uh, this is Brett Morgan's documentary uh, specifically about Kurt Cobain, although there is a little bit about the broader um, uh, circumstance of what happened with Nirvana. Uh, it is mostly based... Uh, most of the audio and video in the film is based around or supplied by uh, art or sound collages made by Kurt Cobain throughout his life from childhood to adulthood, Uh, relative adulthood. He did die at 27. Um, And uh, I think the the major flaw of it is that it is 133 minutes long, which is a really, really long time to immerse yourself in the headspace of a guy like Kurt Cobain, who um, was a he was an absolutely fascinating figure uh for whom there is no analog really anywhere else in rock history that i'm aware of uh but it can be trying especially in the second half of the film when when heroin really takes over and uh the and when the when the light and happy part of your film at that point it are the kurt and courtney home movies you know uh things are getting dark and uh But that being said, there is something uh, endlessly fascinating about a guy who, um, rails against traditional values while clearly having internalized them, uh, to degrees that maybe even he couldn't recognize. And also a guy who, um, abhorred everything about, uh, corporate rock culture while also so very clearly, uh, wanting to be, uh, to be a rock star, loving being on stage, loving the artifice, um, and sort of, it, it, you know, they, they capture that duality really well, and that and that roiling conflict, um, the levels of self awareness in some of these home movies where he's mocking these tropes of being a junkie and and uh, what's going on with the press are really funny, and then and then at the same time when you see him rail against um, Lynn Hershberg at Vanity Fair and these other journalists, it's it's actually quite almost scary. Uh, so to ha- all those dualities are present here. Um, I don't think it really needed to be over over two hours long. It probably could have gotten could have gotten its point in more impactfully at ninety minutes. But uh, I think if you have any interest in the subject matter, it's 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 worth a watch. And and as something that's that's uh that's toying around with with documentary aesthetics, definitely definitely worth a watch. Even if it it is it is a wearying length of time to spend uh, on this subject matter for anyone, even someone such as yourself who who probably probably wouldn't be so into the musical aspect.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's um. I, I know surprisingly little about uh Cobain and Nirvana, in general, let, let alone you know his his early death and everything. Um, so that I'm sure I, I'll to try to see if I can set aside time. I'm sure I would inv- enjoy it. So thank you for, um, for for letting letting us know about it. There there are a lot of these documentaries that uh, or. or films that hbo has been putting out they've been putting out a lot of documentaries this year um, and many of them look very interesting um i just haven't had time to sit down so it's good to know that this is one that i should try to make time for
2: yeah i'd also like to watch tales of the grim sleeper at some point but that's again time
0: time uh well we'll have a little bit more time next week because the good wife had its finale this week want a partner uh what did you think We're, we had this you know a big there was a lot of talk, I guess, leading up to this episode that we were gonna get a Kalisha scene. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but I'll I'll, I'll stick with it. Uh, and did it work for you?
2: Um. Okay. First it, of all, couldn't uh, work
0: wh- for anyone. <laughs>
2: um. Okay. F- first of all, my review is up. Uh. Once again, this this week at Sound On Sight, so you can read more thoughts there. Um. I don't mean to hammer this again but seriously what is so bad what is so horrible that you can't plonk two actors the 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 history of tv and film is replete with people who hate each other's guts working together for years for decades what is the big deal why can you not just sit them in a room for one scene and anyway the ones even if they had shot it together would it really have been better i mean i know this wasn't good but would it re- if they can do it once why couldn't they do it for the past 53 episodes would be my question so really it's a no win situation
0: well and my you know aside from that it would have been better than what we got because then you know there could have been a hug it was like <laughs> like she i'm going to be gone forever okay that's too bad uh, bye like that—that's seriously what happened, and it's insane. They—I—I I couldn't believe that there wasn't at least a parting hug, uh, and that—that that can be done. We've seen it done on *Orphan Black*, but uh, certainly would have been easier if they were in the same room. But that's the thing. Even just putting aside the ridiculousness of the—the the, what must be at some level unprofessionalism—to f- put the producers in this situation. D- no idea who's responsible. But at some point, somebody was very unprofessional, and I can't believe this is what's happening because of it. Um, guys, we live in a post-Orphan Black world. This is a post-Orphan Black television world, <laughs> and this is not acceptable. You have so much more money than Orphan Black. Look what they do every freaking week! And this is the, this is the quality of split-screen, green-screen, whatever matching that you do on the are you, are you kidding? They call up the Orphan Black Eyes. I'm sure they would be very excited to get a call from the Kings and be like, Oh yeah, sure. We it was like we got this thing. Can you help us? Come on
2: <laughs> Uh yeah. I mean ultimately um I forget who it is who wrote this but but they were right when they said that ultimately, no matter what the, what this bad is about, ultimately it comes down to the kings because it was their job to handle it, mm-hmm. whether to fix it or to work around it and None. Of, we wouldn't be talking about any of this, honestly, if it had been a good season in other respects. Um, the show. This has been a problem for way before this season. But there was. But last season was so good and was so powered by uh, such potent story beats that we didn't care or or we weren't noticing. We had other and things it, or to talk about. It was easier about. to overlook. Exactly. Um. But the major, the major and the minor stories this season almost all fell completely flat. Yeah. All at once. Which is sort of shocking in retrospect, um, and nothing. There's nothing particularly promising in this episode, I don't think. And and the fact that now, um, you know the 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 Diane uh, the Diane corner of the show feels so disparate from everything else. Like I, the notion of coming back to another season of following all these characters for some reason. Uh, just feels very strange.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, uh, I was excited about the notion of Alicia and and Louis Canning teaming up until I was like, wait a second. Michael J. Fox is not going to be a regular on the show, so therefore that's not going to stick, and it's just going to be more stupid maneuvering. Uh. Um. So, yeah. The, the I I liked seeing um uh, Susan Meisner. Uh, back here, I I really liked that parallel of her and Alicia. I thought it worked very well, and I thought it was a good performance from her. I liked that it gives that very direct um, inspiration or, or motivation for Canning. Um, but the rest of it, like yeah, like you said, there's, this has been a problematic at best, really ba- ba- very very flawed season. Uh, Sonia Saraya, friend of the show, has a great piece uh, at Salon uh, listing the main like five or six reasons why cosine everything she says there the one thing that does work this episode unsurprisingly is everything with Alicia and Finn and I loved their dynamic the excellent chemistry excellent rapport and I also love the way that they end it where Finn's like uh yeah we're not kidding ourselves here so she's like but wouldn't it be fun to kid ourselves he's like yeah it would but trying to nah. trying to like you know get back together with my ex-wife and I have to save something for us to do in season seven, so... <laughs> I wish he'd
2: actually said that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but like, they, they have such great chemistry, those two actors and the two characters as well. They work so well together. Um, yeah, th- those scenes really did work for me, and I absolutely believed both him coming on board and then him realizing it was a little too good. I've got to step back because mm-hmm. I'm not willing to commit to what this means
2: yeah it was interest. it was nice to find out finally like seven episodes later that he hadn't made up the girlfriend yeah um because i really really thought that he had like his girlfriend from canada or whatever <laughs> um but uh, can you imagine how dire this season would have been had there been no Finn palmer
0: <laughs> oh my god no i can't um, as
2: as they're almost i mean if doubt nabby had been longer
0: <laughs> yeah could this season have been salvaged for you um if the like the election storyline and like the notion of it teaching Alicia that she doesn't care what other people think, if that had ended, if this finale had seen her embrace that notion and divorce Peter, would that have been worth it for, to you?
2: Would have been better. I don't know. I don't think any one plot point could make this the season worth it. But the notion of I, I mean I, I'm glad that she shuts him down and is just like no, don't do it. And it's a test for him. I wish we would have found out in this episode whether or not he was actually not going to do it. But uh, I feel like her divorcing Peter should have happened a while ago. And I continue to think that.
0: Well, and if she's saying she doesn't doesn't care what anyone thinks, then she should get divorced. Because why not? You can co-parent. You know, with an amicable split, too. Yes.
2: And it's not going to ruin his political career to no. get a divorce. At
0: this point, it's not. Because it, it's not like it's in the middle of a scandal. It's like things have quieted down. And uh, it's, he's not currently campaigning for anything if he if he's not going to, you know. And she's not currently campaigning for anything. They can have a quiet, amicable split. And hey, guess what? She's my ex-wife is also a strong tie to the governor.
2: Yeah. And it's not 1940. Yeah, And exactly. nobody cares if you get divorced.
0: Yeah. Well, some people do, but not enough that it should be an issue with Illinois and Chico- Chicago politics. Exactly. Yeah. Any other so, yeah. final thoughts on this episode and the rest of the season? Or are we just kind of crossing our fingers that they can get their act together over the hiatus?
2: I never thought I would be so happy to have a season of The Good Wife be over.
0: Yeah. It's really depressing. Uh yeah. Uh well let's move on instead to a different form of depressing. And that's Mad Men's Penultimate episode, The Milk and Honey Root, which tells us that Betty is going to die and soon. Um but while that is super depressing, it I love that this episode feels so much like a love letter to that character. It's Matt Weiner saying, Yeah, screw all I like Betty. Uh and <laughs> she has her issues, but she's gonna handle this really terrible news and the, you know, very disrespectful way she's told about it. Um, with grace and dignity, and she's just gonna be her. So all the haters can just go fuck off.
2: Basically, yes. Um, the show really does love Betty, and I'll be very curious when I do uh, the eventual like early seasons rewatch to scan my own feelings towards Betty and how, uh, and especially January Jones' performance and how I feel about them because she's taken so much flack over the years for not being able to act, which I think is a misreading uh for the most i mean maybe she's more limited uh than than some people in the cast although i would say that several people in the cast are quite limited um but i think that her sort of uh seeming aloofness or uh lack of responsiveness to emotional stimulus are totally fine for that character uh perhaps even deliberate <laughs> and um uh, I, I'll be very curious when, especially going back to the season one and season two episodes, I barely remember those seasons at all, uh, t- to go back to the Dawn and Betty years and, and, and see what that was like again, I think will be, will be very interesting. Um, and yeah, these, these scenes with her are, are very quietly devastating, especially, um, Sally, of course, immediately reading the letter because that's a very Sally thing to do. Um, how did we feel about the, uh, the, the, the Dawn chunk of the episode,
0: um, it was odd, uh definitely, but um, I am gonna withhold judgment on it until I see what the finale does. I think it was nice to get to see him share part of his military. He's never shared that with anyone ever like did he ever tell Anna that?
2: I don't think so,
0: and so it's it's wonderful that he's able he's in such a position that he is able to even say that express some part of his experience. Um, in Korea, that shows you just how far he's grown and changed in the past couple of seasons because that would have been unimaginable not that long ago. Um, it's a little heavy-handed that it so quickly turns on him. It's like, oh, God. It's like, yay, bring- oh, God, this is what we're doing. But I like eventually the way it comes together, and this notion of him being very so very lost um, makes sense. I just, I, I again, I'm going to withhold judgment on it too much until I see where they're going. Um, yeah, because I would have liked, I mean, I need to see some interaction with some of the main cast in the finale, and I assume we're going to get that, but until we do, I don't want to, you know, come too hard, uh, come down too hard on this episode.
2: I, I would assume what happens is that he gets settled somewhere on the other coast and then flies back for Betty's funeral, if I had to guess, um, which feels very strange, but, uh, I mean, it is Mad Men. I, what it feels like we're getting now is sort of like one last grand tour of the life of Don Dick Whitman Draper, uh, where we get sort of this manifestation of his younger self in the form of this te- you know teenage hustler. And we get we get a reminder of his military service and all this other even anyway, all, all these other sort of uh, elements of his life that we were able to, to put aside or forget about for so long sort of come bubbling up one last time. Uh, whether or not that's what's going on, that's what it feels like to me. Uh, it feels like next week's finale is going to have to be, like, three years long. Is that just me?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll be very surprised if it isn't on the lengthier side. Um, we don't see Joe, and we don't see Peggy, we don't see, you know, many characters this week. We don't see Roger. Uh, do you think we see them next week?
2: Oh, yes, we definitely will see all of those people next week. There's no way, no way that we don't, um... I I actually couldn't remember if Betty was still married to that guy or not. Oh, Henry Francis?
0: Henry, yes.
2: Sorry, I'd I'd forgotten utterly about Henry. I couldn't remember what happened to that guy. And now Mm. I remember why I forgot, because he's kind of a douche.
0: Well, he's just, you know, he's very, he's very, in some ways he's very Don, but in other ways he's very not Don. But he does love Betty very much, so I... He did not handle her diagnosis well, but honestly, could you blame him?
2: No, that's I just, true. I'm just
0: thinking of of a cancer diagnosis like that in that time period. It's just like, oh god, you're just dead. You're just, you're just dead. And and I'm sure that that is um something a lot of people had to face. But especially look, looking at how far we've come in cancer treatment now, to look back and be like, oh man, you, all these options that we have now, you have none of them you're just gonna die horribly awesome
2: (laughs) yep uh i i really hope we get spared the sight of like horrible cancer-ridden near-death betty yeah i don't i feel like they're not gonna do that
0: what do you think they're gonna do with pete and trudy do you think they get their happy ever after
2: did i didn't i sort of call this last week
0: a little bit yeah
2: um, I feel I feel pretty proud about that. I feel like calling anything on Mad Men is like a major achievement. Major achievement. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let myself have that. Um, I don't know if 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 I buy it necessarily, but I'm always in I'm always happy with more Allison Brie slash Trudy in general. She's she's been barely around for the last few seasons because she's been highly in demand. And uh, this notion of Pete maybe uh maybe earnestly turning over a new leaf. Again, I'm not sure I buy it, but I like that he buys it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I like that he it, it seems so completely sincere from him. Uh, Yeah, which is not something necessarily something I was expecting in this last chunk of, of episodes. We'll, we'll have to wait to, until next week to see what is going to come of all this. How many of our characters are going to get happy endings and how many are really not, or how many we're even going to see again. But for now... Uh, let's, let, let, what wins your week in drama, sir?
2: Oh, um, uh, I'll, I'll give it to Mad Men.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to give it to, uh, to Mad Men as well. Um, I think I like last week's episode quite a bit more. Yeah, I definitely like last, me- last week's episode more, but, um, I like that they're just so fully doing their Mad Men thing right through to the end. That's, uh. Delightful, and uh, I look forward to to next week's Next week's finale and all the feels that undoubtedly come with it. So, now a few show notes you can find it at post up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can let us know what you thought of the week's TV and uh, and leave us a comment. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at soundonsite TV. Uh, you can li- find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we would appreciate any feedback there. Uh, ratings and reviews do help other people find the show. Um, you can also email us at televerse at gmail.com. Be like Janie, we love hearing from you guys. And you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Simon, you are
2: at Sucker Howl.
0: And what is our question of the week?
2: There is a there was a huge number, as we mentioned, of uh, renewals and uh, certainly cancellations this week. So I'm just curious to see if there's anything that you were particularly uh, perturbed or delighted to see get uh, get the axe or uh, or another year.
0: Okay. Um. Well. Hmm. So far, everything that's been cancelled I know some people are super bummed about uh Constantine or Mindy project um, but there's talk of both of those going elsewhere and um I'm also not watching either of those so uh, I they were not big losses for me though I understand that for some people they they really are um so I'll just um yeah i i, I I was very surprised by Gallivant. I would love to be excited about it again. I'm not anticipating that, but maybe it'll happen. And I feel it's kind of the same way about Agent Carter, where there's so much potential there. I would love to see them actually fulfill that potential in, in the next season. So I'll say that I'm most excited about, again, maybe I'm foolishly getting my hopes back up, but I would love to see the Agent Carter series that that show and that cast has the potential to deliver. Um, so I will I will throw it to them. What about you?
2: Uh, wait, I mean, We already mentioned the delightful cancellation, so uh, totally, totally pleased with that. Um, I would also like Agent Carter to be good. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever be a show for me, but I would like it to be the best possible version of itself, which I don't think anybody thinks it is uh, quite yet. Um, actually, the most surprising cancellation was one we didn't talk about, or uh, not optioning, rather, was something we didn't talk about, which is the fact that they're not, they didn't option the uh, the Agents of Shield spin-off. so I guess the the MCU has limits after all. <laughs>
0: as much as I would like to see an Adrian Palicki show, uh, yeah, apparently not. But uh, if that means we get a Hunter and and uh, Bobby gonna you know staying on Shield for longer, then I guess that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Let us know what you think. That's you know, I I'm sure that there are certain a uh, series that we're not aware of. I know some people are very bummed about Cristella is another one. Um. But I look forward to, to seeing what, what is, you guys are most excited or disappointed about with, with all the Upfronts news. But for now, uh, we'll take a break and come back with Sound on site's own Mike Warby, to talk about Spawn, the animated series. We'll be right back after this.
1: 400 years have passed. Once again, it is time for a new warrior to emerge from the darkness. Throughout time, the battlefields have changed. But the prize has always
2: remained the same. The human soul. Who else knows? Ow. I'm waiting for your answers, smart boy. Oh, oh. No one... I, I, I'm telling my answer.
1: Don't lie to me, smart boy. Don't you piss me off by trying that crap with me.
0: Each warrior is born as a clean slate, knowing
2: nothing. The only instincts which they can act upon are drawn
1: from their past. Let him go.
2: <gasps> <Jeez. clears throat> <gasps> what the hell are you?
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Coulson, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week on the DVD shelf, we are adding another animated series to the ranks, another uh, comic book adaptation to the ranks as well. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and here to help us talk about Todd McFarlane's Spawn, returning to the podcast, is Mike Warby. Mike, welcome back. Hi. Um, Now, you came on previously to talk about one of your favorite shows, Six Feet Under, and uh, this time it's a slightly different kind of show. What made you want to talk about Todd McFarlane's Spawn?
1: Well, I, I feel like uh, in in the canon of animated television, I, I feel like Spawn often gets unfairly ignored, and I feel like it's like a, I think it's like a great show, and I wish they would have got more seasons out of it. Yeah, and it just more or less, I I thought I really think it's an underrated show, and it's so short that I think everybody should give it a watch.
0: Now, what uh, what familiarity do you have with the comics? Like, did you go into the show as a fan of the comics, or did you discover it separately?
1: I discovered it separately. Um Simon will be familiar with a uh, a television channel we have here in Canada called Teletoon. Um, every Halloween they used to show Spawn uh a Spawn marathon, which I which I watched every year for like four years because I just loved that show so much. And it was before like the advent of DVD packs or whatever. So you know when you bought, when you bought a show back then you had to buy it on VHS, which was ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how I got into it. I'm not really that familiar with the with the with the comic. Uh, I, I was just familiar with it a little bit from the action figure commercials.
0: Well, it's some something. I mean, I've heard of the character of Spawn before because there was that movie in the '90s. I didn't Which really, sucks. <laughs> I have not seen it. Um, I'm intrigued by the cast, I must say, especially having enjoyed Black Dynamite as much as I have. So. Uh, knowing Michael J. White is in that, uh,
2: Michael J. White, John Leguizamo,
1: Martin Sheen. Yeah, Ugh.
0: it, it is, it, the cast sounds very intriguing, but, uh, no, I have don't, not sought up Yeah, the don't film.
1: get, don't get your hopes up.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I, so I knew a little bit of the visual of the character. I, I had a, a very vague sense of the tone of, of the character and the kind of world that, that he fits into, um, but I, I was completely unfamiliar with, with the McFarland, the the comic book creator, the creator of the character, uh, as well as um, this whole mythology. So it was an interesting show to dive in with. And the first thing that really struck me is the visual uh, and tonal similarities to something like Batman the Animated Series, which is, of course, uh, we've, something we've already covered on the DVD shelf in a show that I absolutely love. Um, when you talk about this series being aired, um, there are six episodes in each of the three seasons, but they, you can really think of it as, as three sort of films, like two hour long films, or at least that's how I saw it packaged in many places. Um, I, I do think it has a very fitting, um, look, very Gothic, very, uh, lots of shadows, kind of this combination of Gothic and noir and, and some horror in there as well. Um, that that would make it a perfect fit for a Halloween, but unlike Batman the Animated Series, there's these extra heightened elements to it that take it that step further, um, even more heightened than something like the anime, the Batman Animated Series, which has like Clayface and some pretty ridiculous and uh, some pretty over the top characters. Uh, this feels a lot more, in some ways grounded and in some ways heightened. Is that just me, Mike?
1: No, I would agree with that. Uh, there's some, especially as the series goes on, and we start getting into um, the angels who are trying to kill him, and um, when Lily, the vampire girl, shows up, and even even early on, we have that. Uh, what's that guy? Overkill, the cyborg.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, that's that's. I'd say that's that's pretty accurate.
0: Now, I I, I must say, I don't I don't actually really like the show, <laughs> and uh, I think it's gonna be interesting to talk about. And the reason is. There's a lot to like about it, but I really have a problem with some of its gender issues and um, a, a lot of its gender issues, most of its gender issues, as well as some of the um, some of the themes underneath, or I should say, I, I think they could have done a better job with a few elements, but despite any issues I have, and we'll get to those, um, I... I do think it looks absolutely gorgeous? the the art design, the the character design, the the way that like I, in the third season, there's a couple moments where um, there's a crime scene and the cop pulls up and just there's this very soft light from the uh, the top of the cop car, the red and, and blue that just layers over the the scene. Um, the reflections off of the the set, the characters' faces, or the the set setting wherever they are, in this really specific way that I that I loved. I thought there's a lot to appreciate about the visuals, and um, if you know the, some of the fight scenes as well as of course this is a fantastic voice cast. So despite my issues with the show, I, I do got to give uh, credit to credit credits where it's due to the, the visual design and the the I mean the voice cast is fantastic.
1: Well, in that regard, yeah, I love, I love Keith David, obviously. I've, I love him in movies and I love him as a voice actor even more. Anyone who's seen Princess Mononoke or Gargoyles will be pretty familiar with his work. And, um, also, gosh, I think Richard Dysart, the guy who does Cogliostro's voice is amazing as well. I always love the look of the show. I can see what, uh, what you might mean with some of the problems with the gender dynamics of the show, but. I guess being a guy that didn't get to me as much as it would um, a girl, obviously, because it's a little more offensive <laughs> in that regard. Um, the other, the only other thing that that ever really bothered me about it is it was almost it, it had the some of the Batman comic elements of being like sometimes dark for dark sake, like like whoa, look how dark this is, mm-hmm. which is like a couple times we get into that, which is can be problematic. But generally, I feel like it's a good ride that only improves as it goes along.
0: Well, and I appreciate that this is not a character who realizes he's a superhero. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't—he doesn't seem aware. Spawn does not seem aware that he is in uh, a a comic book show and that he is the superhero and he's supposed to be saving people. Like he doesn't really actually help out the people in the alleys that he, you know, that he makes his home for quite a while. Like there's one particular moment. I think it's in season uh, season two where. This guy shows up looking for him in the alleys, and he does eventually intervene, but he doesn't intervene when the, when this baddie starts, like, torturing the guy. He just intervenes right before he kills this random homeless guy who lives in the same area. Like, he's not going to stop him from, like, beating the crap out of this guy or like uh, i don't remember i want to say he like knocks out his teeth or something
1: he was cutting him with uh with a beer bottle oh yeah there we go busted a busted a wine bottle or a beer bottle and he was cutting him up with it yeah yeah there are there are four or five distinct scenes of
2: spawn sort of standing atop a building watching horrible things happening and then eventually ah fine like swooping down to stop like, and and sometimes they'll even like be bodies dropped before he even shows up
0: and it's again that may may not be my preferred flavor of comic book adaptation or or superhero-ish kind of show but I appreciate it as something different and as a different take on that kind of world or mythology. Um, But I've delayed here long enough. Uh, Simon, what do you think of Spawn? Had you seen, were you familiar with the character previously? Uh, Did you have any connection with this world or was it a completely uh, new discovery for you?
2: Uh, When I was a kid, I had, I don't know where I got it from or why I had it, but I had an action figure, uh, not of Spawn, but of the demon form of Violator. Mm. uh just which uh which as far as i remember only shows up on the show once um couple and times. a couple times th- yeah. a couple anyway uh it's, it's most memorably in the first season anyway and uh yeah i don't know why i just thought it looked cool um <laughs> well, i was does. also it's creepy i was also i think 11 or 12 um and uh, yeah, I didn't really know anything. I didn't, never. I've successfully dodged the movie. Never saw the animated series up till now. I never, certainly never read the comic. I was never a comics person. Uh, but I do know Todd McFarlane by reputation, uh, which is that he is known as. Uh, I mean, I suppose he's known, he, he's known for a lot of things, uh, including positive ones for for people who like Spawn. But he's also like he's got a rep as being. Uh, pretty juvenile and, uh, pretty, uh, fairly backwards thinking. And, uh, I was never really able to test that until I saw this. And yeah, I'd say that's, that, that fits the bill. I know he's not really, he's not actually on the, on the, he doesn't get a writing credit for the show, but I assume that he was creatively involved. I mean, it is it is called Todd McFarlane Spawn, I think for a reason. And, uh, the ultimate stumbling block for me with this show, even putting aside, um, even before you get really to the the sexism and the constant, uh, the the like the the constant sort of omnipresent rapey vibe of so much of it, um, is there's just a, a sense of glee to uh, to its depiction of evil that I'm just not cool with. Like that, especially in the, it's it's worst I would say in the first season when you have that character uh, of Billy Kincaid who. Um, who you know, who abducts and dismembers kids, and and the sh- you can feel the show sort of re- and you sort of hinted at this, Mike. You can feel the show, uh, revelling in just how dark it's going to get and how how dark it's willing to go. Uh, and there there's a real sense of juvenilia to it that I think it never really escapes. Uh, and a lot of that is is also there in the character of Spawn, who, um, you mentioned Batman, Kate, and to me, Spawn is just literalized Batman uh which you know instead of Batman battling metaphorical demons he's battling actual demons and uh and his his sort of inner torment is is amped up to um levels that spinal tap would 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 shirk at um like well beyond eleven and you know he, he, like literally the character of Spawn is nothing but torment uh he he is like the living embodiment of devil got my woman uh all the blues hammering all over the place, and he really only he doesn't really have any other setting than that it's so desperately in need of uh of some levity or some self awareness some self and it there are some flashes of it very near the end, kinda almost, but uh not nearly enough for me. what I'm trying to say is uh this is really not my kind of show
0: <laughs> well, and there's a difference between not our kind of show and not a good show or not an interesting show certainly and so that's what i would where i would put this one i think this is just not a show for me but I can appreciate the things that it does well, or, or the fact that it's taking a different approach to this type of storytelling and this type of a character. I mean, like you say, this notion of he's bat Spawn has these elements of Batman, but he doesn't get to go home to a mansion and drive a really f- fancy car, and then have you know these all these other nice. Perks he has a perfectly of
2: being nice person. alley he can hide in. <laughs> we don't all so have it, alleys.
0: Well, and and he. I think a story with Spawn could be very different after he's gotten through the origin story part of it, where he's regained enough of his memory to understand what's what his position is and, and what he's going with to have made that transition following his... I think the audience can be just as dis, uh, discombobulated as Spawn is when he's first trying to figure out. And I actually like the way that they use these, like very quick flashes of his memories. Like he's not quite sure what's going on. So we're not quite sure what's going on early on, um, in the, in the, in season one. Um, and even later at times as well, there's some, some good use of perspective when we're getting his memories and his nightmares that, that he's experiencing. Um, so I I do think that it, I, uh, I like the storytelling, uh, devices that are used. I just, you know, for me, I just couldn't escape it. You discussed, you mentioned the Simon, um, the rapey vibe, Um, of the show very uh, it's it's a specific and technical term there but um, there are just too many characters on the show who have rape just casually thrown into their backstory I guess to explain why they're badass chicks or why they're bad people because of course they've been raped a bunch and so that's why Lily is the way that she is when there's no reason for that to to be just so casually thrown in there, like the, the and and then we have, you know, the one the counter to that I'll say is that when we have you know, Al spawn rape his ex wife, um, that is at least not treated like it's a good thing on the show. Whereas when you read the des- way the description comes up, it seems like it's going to be like a positive moment for the show it's always oh, this expression of love and it doesn't matter that she's not consenting because she thinks he's someone else so i did actually appreciate the way that the show brought that back up um in season three and definite and had a very strong condemnation of the character for having you know raped his wife um but i can't get around that part of it is and the show is trying to be dark it's trying to explore these things but again I i just keep coming back to not my show
2: uh, and, and, and sort of a uh, not as severe, but still pretty damning thing that happens, I think, in the same season um, when his mentor is talking about how he's afraid of uh, of this Jade character who was an associate of, of Genghis Khan. And and he says something about, like, you're afraid of a girl. And then he kind of chucks like, dude, you live in a universe with demons and vampires and uh, and cyborgs but you can't get your head around the notion of a badass woman, really.
0: What do you think, Mike? Are we are we being too harsh on the show?
1: Uh I I think I think it's important to remember that the show premiered almost 20 years ago. So I think that's one thing to consider here. And this is long before any of the any of the sort of reinvention of uh modern comic book characters that we associate with films like Batman Begins or the new Spider-Man or X Men, even like this is really quite quite an old show. So some of its some of its dynamics, I think, um, are, are I wouldn't say necessarily are forgivable, but they're they're a little more forgivable because of the the timeline, I think, and because this is so early on in HBO's history as well. So I think a lot a lot of uh, a lot of people were encouraged back then, people who are making television we were encouraged back then to kind of go for the gusto with the violence and the profanity. And so there's a lot of, sometimes it feels like sort of with Game of Thrones, they even did that where certain elements were amped up in the violence and sex departments just because they could. And because that's sort of expected from an HBO show.
0: Well, yeah, there's certainly, as I was watching this, it's like, there's a lot of animated boobies. This, that feels like HBO. Especially of that time period, just being like, we can, so we will.
2: But still no animated wang. We still have trouble with peeing on the screen.
0: Yeah. Well, come on. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't 15 yet. This is a running thing on the podcast this year, Mike. Uh, Peeing on the screen at 15. But that's... um, And again, the the show's comfort with these dark themes, uh, with nudity, with violence, um, with a hero who doesn't actually seem to, you know, who takes three seasons to decide that maybe he should try to not be, a be dick. evil. Not not just a dick, but be an evil and regain <laughs> control over his identity. You know, it's, it's again, it, it's a different kind of show trying to, uh, trying to explore a different kind of hero. And I can definitely appreciate that with that arc over the the three seasons of him deciding to try to regain his humanity. Um, I, I actually would have appreciated I think there's some themes that and there are some ideas that the show is playing with that because I'm not familiar with the comics, maybe weren't coming through as well. And that was something that's why I was curious, Mike, if you had read the comics, because for me, like I had to, to, to try to understand the deal with the giant red cloak cape thing. I had to read up online that that it's actually alive and it's a symbiote. And a, there's a lot of details like that. The show doesn't hold your hand with. And normally I would appreciate that. But I feel like, you know, like they make such a big deal that he um, has has sold his soul. But I don't get a sense that he's any different than he would be if he hadn't sold his soul. So maybe if there is more of a contrast with the kind of person he was before the trauma he experienced and the kind of person he is now. Or even just like details of what what hold does this um, I can't remember its name demon that starts with them.
1: Malboja.
0: Malboja, that's a good name. Have over over Al and over Spawn. And how much of him is Spawn and how much of him is Al? Uh, was that just me I, feeling you know a little out of the loop there?
1: Well, I think I think that's supposed to be kind of the case. I think you're supposed to wonder where does Al and in Spawn begin, and Spawn himself struggles with that question. Uh, and I, I what I what I love about this the this, this story arc of the show is that like you said, he doesn't start off as a hero. He starts off is a very very dark anti-hero almost villainous himself to a certain extent and yeah it isn't until uh the end of season 3 that he's really getting prepared to to actually do something a little bit different which you know i think had the show continued we would have seen more of a redemption arc for the re- remainder of its few seasons but unfortunately we didn't get there um but i like i like that about his character is that i remember the episode uh particularly the the drug dealer episode episode in season two when he's just letting letting these horrible guys just murder homeless people in gruesome ways but it takes him almost the whole episode before he finally steps in
0: yeah I think uh, I I'm also curious uh, with the way that I watched it if I would have had a more positive experience if I had watched it a little more spread out because I I mainlined these episodes and I think certain of these elements when watched in that way if this is not your kind of show like it, it isn't for me um got a little oppressive with it so i i saw the way that they established the character and in you know as this darker forces as this anti-hero as this just sort of not even anti-hero just protagonist but that doesn't mean that you know guy that the show is about as opposed to hero or anti-hero or or uh, anything like that um but i wanted his arc to move forward, I was getting frustrated with as like we we get it. you were burned alive by your friend. Can we just move on now? Can we get over this? You know, horrific, unending trauma that you're experiencing? Uh,
2: well, and also, um I think when you I, I also sort of mainlined it, and I think that the the more of it you watch in a, in a concentrated period of time, um, the more you uh, come to realize that the universe of the show, is just is so bleak that it almost becomes banal, especially in the in the third season when heaven gets involved and it's clear that heaven is also made up of assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, oh, so he's caught between two sides. Both sides are awful, and and as we are repeatedly told, interchangeable. Also, the world itself is awful. Uh, so really, what is there to fight for here?
0: Well, and that kind of takes me to some of the characters that I did have a more positive connection with. I liked that they made Wanda a, uh, a an attorney, a successful uh, businesswoman, a uh, career woman, who is also, you know, this, she manages to actually, you know, she has, she's having to defend this, child killer but it turns out that he didn't actually do it and you know so they give her some darker things to work with but they also make her really good at her job They make her a good mom They make her an interesting dynamic character we see some of her other relationships um her family and stuff throughout the the show and i also uh eventually as they were more developed got came to really enjoy um the the buddy cop duo particularly twitch
1: yeah twitch is great i love i love twitch uh especially his arc after he's shot in the head I think yeah. that's a great, great, that's one of the best arcs of the show, I think. And I love the way they close that storyline off at the end, too, by, you know, giving the gun back to the, the what, the commissioner or the sergeant or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Please, chief. And telling, chief.
1: Yeah, the chief, the chief. There we go. And telling him to just, you know, don't disappoint your family or whatever. I can't remember exactly what they say to him, but something like, something like hinting at, you know, just kill yourself. Just kill yourself. <laughs> Just kill yourself, you piece of garbage, so no one has to I, deal with you. I I like how in cho- in shows
2: like this or in stories like this, there is a distinction drawn between shooting someone or getting them or convincing someone to shoot themselves. Because in a court of law, that's still not good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but you because of the world that they've established. It seems very clear that that is the only way anything bad is going to happen to this guy is if he decides to kill himself because the society and the culture that we've seen um, is so corrupt that that either they kill him or they convince him to kill himself. But he's not going to go to jail. He's not going to get brought to justice at all because that's not the kind of world that Spawn is set in
2: true although i was also confused by the fact that spawn is repeatedly told that he that he shouldn't kill people because when he kills people it sends souls to malvosia so uh and his army whatever etc etc and at the end of the first season he doesn't kill jason Wynn, who's like the big bad of the whole show unless you count Malbosia. um but then at the end of season three when he goes after when he's like i'm gonna kill you it's like wait a second didn't we go over this already
0: well yeah, but again that ties into him as a more human character and um yeah, I, I would have liked and again, maybe with, with more episodes or a more focused arc, there's quite a bit of standalone um there's a surprising amount of standalone really in these episodes. Um we could have met and gotten a clearer picture picture of what was going on with this battle between heaven and hell. Um, but I, I just Either you got to do something with Win by the end of the show because we hate him so much that if if you know Spawn keeps stepping aside and not killing him because Hero, um, it would really get old.
1: I think that I think eventually they were getting to that point. Uh, like the point is to not kill Win because Win will return. He's afraid Win will turn return as a Hellspawn as well. Mm-hmm. But then, um. Since he doesn't kill Win, and since Win feels threatened, he goes he goes somewhere and he gets that mask. And that was, I think, that was going to lead into their their actual mono a mono conflict in the next season. Because that was again towards the end of season three, and that mask gets stuck on his face. And we, no, we don't really know what that means or where that was going. But mm-hmm. I think that's what that was supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's there's there's a lot that they were continuing to to build towards. I mean, in season three, you get set up. You know that the, the rape baby is gonna decide the apocalypse. Um, Antichrist,
1: basically, yeah.
0: Yeah, basically, and um, you know, I don't think I've ever watched a show and rooted on a character to have an abortion <laughs> when, when the the when Wanda's saying that she's thinking of getting an abortion, we're like, that would just save us at least two seasons if it would work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a great ending for uh for like an Omen type movie. Uh, that I'm surprised no one's ever tried before. Where the world is saved via abortion, that'd be that'd be such a great message. That's uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> although I, I sh- it should be noted, like they they are they are making uh, a new Spawn series
1: with Keith David. Do we all know this? This is yes. happening.
0: Yes. Yes. I, and- I was
1: so happy to hear it because I think I think it'll benefit from the t- a lot of times gone by. So I think it'll strongly benefit in animation and in writing.
0: Well, and again, I think that there is a lot of very interesting. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on in this show. I just, I I feel like there's other, there's, there's some problem points, some, some problematic areas, uh, to use, you know, blogger speak that will, I think benefit from, like you say, uh, my, you know, 20 years of popular culture and public discourse. Uh, at least that's the hope. And again, to go for me to come full circle, I just love Keith David's voice so much. I think it's great casting and Despite all the issues I have with the show, it does make me happy that there is a a, a comic a superhero show that does actually have African American characters as almost all of the main characters. The good guys, the bad guys. Like Terry is an entirely good person. You can't get better than Terry or or Wanda, complete heroes. Um, and it's wonderful that they're all black.
2: Yeah, did we really need an episode with the KKK
1: though? Probably not.
0: It's satisfying to watch the KKK get just eviscerated, though.
1: Well, it was, it was sort of like sort of the KKK. Yeah, that guy, that guy has the dreams with the people in the hood and stuff, but he's mm-hmm. he doesn't feel like a clan member really. I guess he talks about kind of being a clan member or something. But, he's yeah. more like he's more like just a racist who, a racist asshole is being manipulated by uh, Balboja, though. There is KKK in the episode name though.
2: Yeah, yes. Oh yeah, there clowns, is. That, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good good <laughs> wordplay. <laughs> I see what they did there.
0: Do you guys have any final thoughts on Spawn the animated series? Uh Simon, I'm going to go to you first.
2: Uh should give some credit to uh Michael Nicolosi who does the voice of Violator cuz I mean he, Creepy he's got Clown to. man. Yeah. It's it's a good creepy clown voice. You got to give him credit. mm
0: mm-hmm. Mhm. Mike, how about you? What's your what's your final thought on 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 Spawn? What's your pitch for our listeners who are we're, we're being downers here? So, you know, <laughs> send it home. Uh,
1: I, I think, yeah, I, I think, like I said, I, I think the issues the issues that the show struggles with, I think it struggles with the most in the first season. And I think it gets better as the show goes on. I, I I love, like I said, I I love dark stuff and I love the dark elements of the show, but I can see why some people would struggle with, especially with the, the lack of levity because there is almost zero comic relief on this show. And it is. it can be, if you're just marathoning it, it can just be like a, a long, dark tunnel. Um, I think you're right that it benefited from uh, being watched week for week or even night for night when it was uh, doing the marathon on Halloween. In any case, um, yeah, final thoughts, I guess I would say, I really love uh, almost all of season three. I think it's just shot for shot, and I think they're great episodes. Uh, I loved... I love the the racist guy, um, followed by or with the dr- and the drug dealers before that. I love I love a lot of season two, um, but yeah, particularly Hunter's Moon, the vampire episode. I think that's an amazing episode. I Love that church battle, and I think uh, chasing chasing the serpent, which follows it, where they go and rescue um, one of uh, Spawn's farm former army generals, who's like you know sitting in that mm-hmm. pit just eating insects, muttering the same words to himself over and over again. I really would have liked to see what they were going to do with that character. Cause I thought that was a great, I love that character. And I love Jade as well. The, um, the assassin from heaven
0: voiced by Ming-Na for those who are fans of her uh, over on shield. So another comic book connection there. Um, but yeah, so this has certainly been a, a really interesting show for me to, to dive in with and think about. It's prompted other, uh, me to make other connections that I wouldn't necessarily make and, and t- take a look back at the, you know, a different, a different type of comic book show than the ones I grew up watching uh, on, you know, on, on not cable, let alone pay cable. Um, so like your, your X-Men and your Spider-Man and your Batman, the Inmates series. So I'm glad to have filled in, uh, another aspect of my, of, of the television of my, of my childhood. So thank you so much, Mike, for coming back on the podcast at Talk Spawn. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online?
1: Uh, mainly over on soundonsite.com I've also started a podcast called Hobo with a Laptop Which is going to be um, exploring uh, films that can be watched for free online So that's going to be the pitch of it And we're just going to kind of talk about that that sort of thing week for week So that the idea would be that people can watch whatever film we're talking about You know, without doing anything illegal or without paying any money
0: That's great I look forward to listening to it Um, And thank you again so much for coming on. You'll have to come back on in another uh, six months or so so we can talk about another show.
1: I will happily do that.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you again, Mike, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs)